Welcome to Pro Coaching um, Podcast number seven, I think it is, today. And um, we're going to bring to you a athlete um, that I've worked with for several years and been friends with for probably 10 years. Uh, his name is Ken Vita. Ken is the 2016 um, National Road Race Champion. He was second in the crit this year at uh, Masters Nationals. Um, probably one of the most explosive, uh, winningest um, cyclists. Uh, in the southeast if not in the united states um, super good sprinter great athlete and we're just going to kind of pick his brain a little bit um, about his training about him and then i'm actually doing a coaching consult with him so we're going to talk about his 2020 season so you'll get that information as well uh ken um welcome thank you it's good to be here and uh so right off the bat how long have you been cycling Jeez, I've been cycling what seems like forever. Um, I started racing when I was 15 years old. Um, and even before that, obviously I was riding a bike. I kind of, you know, fell into racing through ski racing. It was something I used to um, race snow skiing from up north. And somebody said, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, get a bike and start training in the summer to be fit for the ski racing season. So I did and found out that I was a much better bike racer than I was a ski racer. And from then on, you know, I think age 15, parents took me to a, a race um, to watch. And believe it or not, it was a, a race that George and Cappy won. Um, it was called the Tour of Nutley. And I saw that race and I was like, holy crap, this looks awesome, I'm hooked. And a couple months later that summer, I entered a race and essentially won solo off the front lapping the field. So from then on, I was like, okay, I think this is my sport and pretty much skied for fun from then and just trained for cycling the rest of the time. So you, so your second year is when you lapped the field? No, my, it was literally my first bike race ever. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just a junior race and stuff too, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, a cool experience for sure. And you know, the, the following year I was racing side by side with Pink Happy. So that was, um, nice quite a change and do you remember what bike you were riding uh, my first bike was actually an aluminum schwinn we used to call them 10 speeds back in the day it was probably 12 speed or you know at that time but um but yeah i remember i bought it with paper route money i think i spent 450 dollars on it everybody thought i was insane uh most expensive thing i ever bought it was it was cool it was a red bike it was aluminum um, you know, down tube shifters and stuff like that. But, and then I think I rode that for a year and then I spent like a thousand dollars on just a frame and bought a carbon bike. Um, and then from then I was just, I was hooked. And did you play any other sports, um, in high school or college or anything or just cycling? I, well, I ran track and I played football in grade school. Um, but once I got into cycling that kind of, you know, my whole, all my time was dedicated. And like I said, I was a ski racer too. Um, I did that for the school in high school, um, but you know, cycling took over once I started. And uh, just to kind of talk a little bit about it, like, so junior cycling probably was a little bit, I don't know, we'll say popular, more popular. As of recent, it's not as popular, especially here in Florida. Like, if we go to a race, if it even has a junior event, the junior fields are pretty small. Um, what's your take of junior racing now versus what you had back then? Like, do you see the fields bigger, smaller, more competitive, less competitive? What's your take on juniors? When I started racing, it was kind of the, the golden age of road racing. Um, 
around the same time Le Mans was racing and winning tours and junior fields were 100 guys, 150 guys at some of the bigger races. So it was huge. Um, extreme competition. You had guys that were, you know, traveling all over the place, you know, as juniors. Um, like I said, I started racing with Hink Happy, who was a junior at the time. Um, Frankie Andreu, you know, the guys that were went later on to race at the tour and, you know, win stages at the tour and whatnot. Um, it was a huge difference. I see junior fields now that are, you know, 10, 15 guys if you're lucky and half those guys aren't really, you know, dedicated to it. They're doing it because their parents maybe want to do it, do it or something like that. It's a, it's a big change. And, you know, I attribute that a lot to not having kind of a, a pro road, road model, like a role model. Like, you know, I had Lamont growing up and then Lance, um, you know, too, to kind of look up to and push myself and got motivated motivated by. But now, I mean, it, it's hard. There's not really an American cyclist that's essentially setting the stage for these young kids to want to get into it. Plus, there's, you know, the, the drugs in the sport kind of put a bad taste in it. I mean, I raced through the 90s. I raced clean through the 90s, which essentially prevented me from probably, you know, reaching my full potential um, because I was racing against, you know, a lot of people doped to the gills and obviously that that kind of hurt things because you know i insisted on racing clean and you know i wasn't i didn't have doors open for me like um some of these other guys did so you know basically i would love to see the junior ranks you know explode again i just unless we have an american tour rider that's probably not going to happen which is a shame but i think it's reality so yeah i mean it's great points and it's probably 100 percent accurate um because other sports that are thriving have people to look up to. So like basketball, football, um, they have paths to, to follow in, in cycling, we really don't. Um, and like we're USA Cycling, really, I mean, I'm a USA Cycling coach, but I just don't see them probably taking the right steps into pushing the sport in the right direction. You know, attendance seems to be down. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some you know really good kids that came out of Florida recently. You have Mike Hernandez, who's who's kicking ass and taking names. And, you know, you have Justin, who is just below him on level, hasn't had the same opportunities. Um, but there are two kids recently that, you know, we raced with as juniors. They were doing the senior races and doing really well. And uh, Miguel Byron is another one that I remember racing with as junior. He's riding for Hincapie. So we are still producing some guys, but the, the town pool is so much smaller now um, so you can you even go to a, a national junior level event and you're, it's, you know, 50 guys in the race as opposed to like 150. So I think it is, I think it starts, USA Cycling is a problem, but the general overall perception of bike racing in the U.S. is, is also a problem. I mean, it's not just junior racing, every field is down. So we can't say, hey, we want 100 juniors to show up if there's only 100, you know, total participants that show up for a race. So. I mean, I think bike racing has a problem right now. So just to kind of expand on that a little bit, because I think it's important, and especially for someone like you who are, who's been in the sport for a long time, plus, you know, you're at the higher end of, of uh, the racers in this area um, and one of the best probably in the state. So like one thought I had on it is I'm a master's racer. And, and so we have the pro one, two racers who you know, they're local pros, so they're, they're you know, some are juniors, some are older, some are just trying to um, maybe progress in the sport, or some are just trying to, like, kind of live their dream of being a pro or whatever. 
And then there's the masters racers. There's who are 40 plus. You've been racing some masters and some pro. Um, and I, I hear a sediment out there that masters racers, you know, we do it for fun, which we do. And then that all of the emphasis should be put on the pro one, two racing, um, and less on the masters. And I'm on the mindset of this, like, and this is my opinion. So masters athletes, we'll call them 40 plus. 35 is kind of like, you're really still in that range where you could probably race pro one, two or, or category. But let's just say masters 40. When you're at 40 years of age, like you, you have a bigger pocketbook, like you have more money. So I'm able to spend a little bit more money on racing, travel to races, um, and, and kind of push that money into the sport um, or into the events. Because it all comes down to like a promoter, they're not gonna promote an event very long um, if they're not making money. And then I understand people are like, well, clubs can do it. But clubs are gonna come and go because the person running the club, they're gonna be motivated for a couple years and then they're gonna get tired of it and then that's gonna go away. So having a promoter potentially is a good thing because it makes it a business, which again, if their salary's tied to promoting races, they're gonna promote races. And then they're gonna do it based on the market. So if the market's saying, hey, you know, we want these races and people are gonna show up. So I'm of the mindset that if we have masters show up, they have the money and the capital, and if we really push masters racing, right, and we build up those masters categories, whether it's having masters A, masters B, because we try to get more masters into, because we have some guys who are beginning at 40, who are cat fives, and then, so they don't want to race with the open guys because they're racing against kids, and then they don't want to, and if they're a cat three or four, whatever, they want to race with the open guys because they're racing against cat ones, so we're pushing some people who have money, who actually have the means to pay for this sport, and that's why they're going to Grand Fondos. Like, I coach a lot of people who are 40 plus and they're going to Grand Fondos because the opportunity to race is not really there or the races being put on aren't catered to them and they could pay. So maybe the race fee is a little higher for them and then we keep the junior fees low and we keep the Pro 1-2 fees a little bit lower. But I'm seeing we, we go to Pro 1-2 races and it's more for the Pro 1-2s and it may be a little less for the masters or we're catering more to the Pro 1-2s, giving them you know better venues, better racing conditions, longer races. Like uh, most of the masters racers, that I know of, their physiology is set up to ride longer events, not short intensive. So giving them, and I know this doesn't apply to you because you like crits, but um, giving them the opportunity to get a good solid race in, pay more money, and then funnel that to uh, the Pro 1-2s, but don't take the money away. Like I hear people saying, oh, don't pay the Pro or Masters racers. We, I can tell you, I never do a race personally for the money, but at the end, when somebody hands me a little bit of money, it's kind of, it's like a mental thing. So it's more on the mental side of, hey, I'm racing, I paid $50, $45 for a race fee, I'm getting to ride for three hours in a hard race, and um, you know, I may have the potential to win $100. Then some of my money can get funneled to the other categories, because I want to help cycling, not only as a coach, but also as a master's racer. Um, do you think that's the wrong approach or should we just say hey masters guys? This is it you're getting paid nothing Here's some trophies and we're gonna push it all to the pro one two level like what's your thought of that model or I think there's a couple things that we could address in that that scenario one is the events The events need to be something that people are excited about to go to 
this, this whole concept of, you know, racing in a parking lot or racing in a downtown that has no people. You know, if you want to get numbers, you need the whole family to show up. And that's a big thing. You know, the, the days of, you know, we could address this, you know, more down the line, but, you know, the days of showing up, you know, a single guy, you know, just being there, no girlfriend, no, no kids, no dog, nothing, just, just showing up. Those days are, are, are ending for most people. And we, the, the sport needs to adapt to make these events family friendly. Put them around a festival, put them around something that the family can do, and that's gonna get the participants. Now, will that affect Pro One Two? I don't know. I don't know if Pro One Two. Pro One Two, they're gonna show up if there's prize money for the most part. I mean, that's what's motivating a lot of those guys. But the juniors and the masters, they're gonna show up if it's a good course, a good venue, something for their wife and kids to do while they're racing, while they're out, you know, free riding the course. That's a big thing. As far as prize money and stuff, I've seen this year especially the prize money drop dramatically amongst categories. I mean, you know, I know the promoters. I've talked to them. They're like, listen, the events are getting more and more to put on, and we're getting less and less people showing up, so we need to push it somewhere. And okay, I can understand that logic. It does make sense. The numbers do support it. But what I find incredibly insulting is, I agree, I don't race for money. I never have. But if you know, I win a race and my prize is less than I pay to race, that is like such a shot in the foot. I mean, if you essentially are giving out, be it first place, be it top three, top five, whatever the lowest amount should at least cover your expense to race. Yeah, it's not gonna cover your gas, it's not gonna cover you know your equipment, but it should cover your entry fee. So I think as far as fees are concerned and prize money, that should just be something you know putting forward. Now, as far as you know, the masters, I've heard from a lot of masters guys that they really enjoyed it when there was masters A's and B's. Because what happens is you have these these master B guys that, you know, they're they're group riders, they wanna race every once in a while, but they show up and they have to race against like somebody like me, somebody like, you know, Bruno is another really good master rider from Florida. You know, somebody like Owen, you know, guys that are either have podium at nationals or have won nationals and it's you know, I understand the reasoning. They're off the back within the first two laps, and they're like, why did I even show up for this? Now, there's part of me like, hey, that's how you get better. That's how I started. You know, when I was starting group rides 20 years ago, I was getting dropped, you know? And it was part of the, the, the allure of the sport is like every time you show up, you get better and stuff like that. But when it comes to bike racing, it's a little bit different. You're paying, you're driving to an event, you're showing up. It's not getting dropped from a group ride that's maybe 20 minutes down the road from you. This is, you're dedicating a whole day and then you ended up riding three miles in the race. So it's it's gotta be incredibly frustrating. So I think bringing back the Masters B category will go a long way. So this way we get those numbers back up there at least a little bit, which will in turn maybe give us some better venues and some better events. Because like I said, everything costs money. Um, and we really need you know, cities and townships and, you know, states behind it in order for us to kind of grow on a thing like these, these fondos and stuff that are so popular, they don't close the roads. You know, you're riding on public roads. So yeah, is it, do they usually pay for a couple officers? Sure, but they're not like having rolling enclosures. They're not closed. So the cost is much less for them and they're making so much more. Entry fees are higher for these fondos Granted, yeah, they do. They'll give you a t-shirt, they'll provide food afterward and stuff like that. So there is some benefit, some value in that, but everybody gets the finish too. So like I said, that master's guy that showed up that lasted three miles of an A race, um, 
they got to do 100 miles at a Fondo and they have something to show for that where, you know, they spent $30 to do a crit, then it's, it's one of those things. So, I mean, the sport is truly evolving and we kind of need to evolve with it. Now, can something still be done to, you know, have criteriums and road racing popular? Yeah, I think so, but I think we are at the point now we have to look at the alternatives that are out there, that the, the different kind of events, the Fondos, the gravel grinders, and even Swift is another thing that we are going to see competition on there where people don't even need to leave their house. Now, if you like it or not, it's gonna happen. It's already happening, and USA Cycling, I know, is, is looking for ways to certify people so you could actually get even upgrade points by racing on Swift, which is crazy because you may not know how to handle a bike, but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, that's right. So one thing that Ken said that's important, like like technology's happening and, and the fondos are happening and the gravel grinders are happening and people can argue one way or the other, but it's happening and the market kind of drags or points in the direction it wants to go. Like. We can say we like the good old days or we can say we like this, but if we don't change with the market, then that, those people complaining or whatever, they're just gonna be out of business and gone. So that's the point is like changing it for the better. Like, um, you know, we can, and I, you know, I agree with, with Ken and I've seen this directly from coaching athletes where I've had masters athletes who got out of the sport or are doing, or, or taking those funds now and allocating them towards a grand fondo. Um, I had a gentleman, he did three races in the beginning of the year and he lasted three to five miles because he was an older athlete, so he's outside the age range um, and he's racing with the A's. So he's at that top end of the range racing against 40s and he's like 58 or something and he's really a B um, and he doesn't really have a, a, a category. And he, he's a doctor, he has plenty of money. Money's not the limiter for him, uh, he has money and time. And so I have a lot of people that have money and time and they just need the right motivation. They lose the drive when after three miles they're out. So now they go to Hincapie. They do, and he they're providing a great experience. So Ken nails it there. Um, let's see, I wanna go and tackle some things here. What is your greatest achievement in cycling? So you've been doing this for a while. So what is the greatest achievement for you in cycling at this time? I really have to say when I won the 2016 uh, Masters Road Race National Championship, that was, by far something I've been working through through my whole career. I had podium multiple times um, as a junior, as a senior, um, and it was something I always wanted. I always wanted to represent the Stars and Stripes by being to, being able to wear that jersey throughout the year. So that was one of the culminations. And what the greatest part of that win was is I didn't expect it. I was up there to race the crit, I was doing the road race as kind of a warm up and I ended up winning the road race and you know, I was over the moon with it and it was definitely one of the, the proudest, greatest moments of my cycling career. Yeah, it was awesome. I remember seeing the picture on social media and uh, being really happy for you, so. Um, and then what is the greatest failure? The greatest failure is also at Nationals <laughs> and I actually go to this year um, getting second at the National Criterium Championship this year in a sprint is something that has haunted me ever since it, since it happened. Um, for those people that weren't at the event, I essentially kind of let out the sprint from the last corner. Um, I had somebody to chase down, so I had a carrot, passed them probably with 200 meters to go and thought I had the win. So in my head, I was already celebrating the win, which was probably the biggest mistake I made because I 
I probably, not knowing, probably let up a little bit, enabled myself to get past, and I ended up losing by about a tire width. And that was one of those things that I can't have back. And, you know, it would have been so great to have that, that win two years later at the crit, especially because it was relatively a local race in Georgia. So it was kind of a no-brainer. I had my daughter up there, and my wife there. Um, so yeah, that was, it's, that's a hard pill to swallow, and I'm kind of using that as you know, motivation moving forward, which is, you know, what you really have to do when you have a, a big loss like that is to, you know, instead of just being down on yourself, you really need to use it and, you know, use it to motivate you for the future. So it's interesting, like Ken's uh, greatest failure is actually at nationals. So some of us, our greatest failure is uh, getting uh, uh, dropped on the group rider or, um, or losing like a state championship or whatever it is comes uh, at nationals. And he took second. So um, it's not like he got dropped from the group or he, he didn't make the podium or whatever. He, he took second and I was watching it um, on TV, on uh, Facebook Live, and I thought he won too. So um, that's great. I mean, he takes a first and a second and they're both his greatest and, and worst moments. Um, best cycling training tool. What do you think is the best cycling training? And the, for people who don't can, he's a real tech guy. Um, so he's always up on the latest and greatest in gear and He's always like, hey, have you seen this? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen this. It's always some, it's funny, he, he brings, uh, even though I do this 24 seven, this is my job, he, he can't, he's always up to date on the newest technologies and cycling. So what would you say is the, the, the best tool, um, training tool uh, for the money or best tool that you know out there? I think the best tool, and it's something I've used even before we got high tech with it, is an indoor trainer. Um, it is something that enables you to ride at any time of the day. Um, it's something that enables you to give 100% focused workout, 100% pedaling, because you know even if you're outside, it's never 100% pedaling, because you gotta stop for red lights, you gotta stop for stop signs, you do coast every once in a while. And obviously the technology has grown leaps and bounds with the indoor market, and we touched on Zwift and things like that, but I think for me, and I think if you have the right mindset, the best tool out there is an indoor trainer, if you wanna get faster. If you're just you know, concerned about seeing pretty scenery and being outside and things like that, hey, it's not the greatest thing. It is, it's torture. Um, I sent Roy a picture this morning of me riding um, and it was, he's like, why is it so dark? I'm like, well, because it's a pain cave. I mean, that's essentially what it is. I mean, that's the best way to put it. I don't, I don't get on the trainer to have a good time. I don't get on the trainer because I enjoy it. I get on the trainer because I want to get faster. Um, so as far as training tools, there's really nothing better in my opinion. So just on the I'll carry over on that, and just to get the insight of someone like Ken, because you know, like he's again one of the most winning uh, cyclists in the area. I mean, the guy wins every single time, and and sometimes he's not fit. Like so, I I see his data quite often. I'm like, well, he's winning races and he's not really at his best, you know. And and so I think. Part of what he just said is the mentality in his head. So when you train, or when you get on the bike, is it? it it's it's not for this. I mean, basically, it's not for enjoyment. Very per se. very rarely, it's for enjoyment. Honestly, because what I enjoy, I enjoy winning. You know, it's not even I enjoy racing. I enjoy winning, and that's honestly, you know, why I ride, why I train, what really, what is my motivating factor? It's it's winning and being on the top step, and it's not podium, you know, because obviously my second place at nationals was, was not enough. Um, 
so yeah that is my biggest motivation i mean yeah i do i love i love bike racing and i love bike riding i love you know the group rides where i could catch up with my friends and and see them and stuff like that it's kind of my social time also but you know why why do i train why do i suffer and stuff like that it is it is to win and that's important because that's like the thing of motivation like you know this thing of motivation i don't I think motivation is like a fleeting, but being driven by something is lasting. So what I mean by that is like he's driven to win. And so he'll sit there in the middle of darkness on a trainer. And so that's his drive. That drive will get, that's how he gets up every day. And that's how he gets on the trainer and does his work because he has a drive to win. And so everybody, not everybody has that. Like some people don't, they want to, they're driven to win the group ride or they're driven to last or to go and do the grand happy grand fondo so that's your drive if you don't have a driver if you're not driven you're never going to get to success whatever that success may be motivation is just you know i can watch video or we can listen to ken i'll be motivated for like fucking 20 minutes and then you know then i'm i want to go take a nap so but if i'm driven to do something like he's driven to win then he knows that i can't nap because i got to get my I got to get my recovery in. I got to fuel. I have to get ready for tomorrow's training, and that's that's important. Because that's a big takeaway with what Ken just said. Um, and I think sometimes we want to be comfortable, so trainers aren't comfortable. Um, they aren't comfortable at all. There's no coasting. There's no drafting behind someone. 100% of what you put in is what you get out on a trainer. So it's interesting he says trainer because I thought he was going to say power meter. So that's cool. Um, I think that's a great um, great insight, and I think. You know, especially this time of year, a lot of us are going to be on trainers. So, um, and uh, so the next one, uh, mindset. So I'm going to just go right into mindset because Ken, really, this is his. This, in my opinion, is his strength. Sure, his one minute power is great, and his five second sprint's awesome. But I think his mindset, um, and uh, and I want to, he just shared a little bit of that mindset. So, I want to dig a, a little deeper. When you get up in the morning or later in the afternoon, when you're getting up, you have a kid now, all right? So you have a kid, you have limited time. Um, you can't ride 20 hours a week like some people out there who are a higher, you know, at, at these certain levels. What is your mindset? Like what, what is it when you get up that gets you on the bike, that gets you drilling out some intervals or, or continue to do? What's, what's your mindset like these days? Um, I mean, it is. It's, it's changed a little bit. I mean, you mentioned having a kid. I do. I have a one-year-old daughter, and she's definitely changed my, my world quite a bit. And I find myself, you know, basing my rides based off her nap times, um, which is, you know, something different for sure. Um, but it really, my mindset really hasn't necessarily changed too much. I think it is like <clears throat> that motivation to win is still there. That motivation, I think, in fact, it, it's changed a little bit because now... I am not just motivated for myself, I'm motivated to be a good influence and a good role model for her. Um, you know, I, I wanna be, I don't wanna be that dad that, you know, is, is telling his, his daughter, being like, hey man, when I was in high school, I was the star quarterback, I was so awesome back then, now I'm an overweight person sitting on the couch and stuff like that. That's not, that's never gonna be me. I want her to grow up knowing that no matter how old you are, you could still win you can still succeed and that's a that's a big thing um but i also find that you know cycling i had a conversation with my wife this morning and we were talking about cycling and kind of talking about this this interview and 
you know, she kind of nailed it. She's like, you define yourself by cycling. And that's true. I mean, I've been doing it, I've been doing it more than half my life, um, which is, which is crazy to think. And it is, it's something that defines me. And if I'm not riding or if I'm not training, it affects other aspects of my life. So there's so many motivating factors. So it's, yes, I train because I want to win. I train because I want to be a good role model. I train because it gives me confidence in other areas of my life that is important to be a good dad, to be a good, you know, business owner, to be a good employee, to be a good husband. You know, these are all things that are important. And I find myself that if I don't have that, that time or that success on the bike, all those other things suffer. Yeah. And that's, Again, this a lot of commonalities with um, with that mindset because like we'll see a lot of people who bask in what they did when they were in high school or or what they did when they're in Pee Wee or whatever, and they talk about their prior you know stuff. But I, very seldom that I hear can um, talk about. I mean, I've known him for a while, and I didn't know that story about George Hincapi and, and him racing and then lapping the field. So he doesn't really talk about his prior accomplishments. He talks about today and what he wants to do, not what he did do. And then setting that example, like we can tell people what we do or we can tell people how to be or we can tell people how to be driven or we can tell our children, you know, do this, but we have to show them. I think, you know, that's the key is showing them and living that life. So he lives it. And that, again, that's going to show his child that winning mindset that how to be driven towards something, how to be driven towards a specific goal and how to attack it. Like it's something that, he, he lives it every day. He just said it. Like, it defines him. Um, and I know, you know, Ken really well. He de- it's, it's not like he's obsessed with cycling. People are like, wow, that's fucked up. The guy's obsessed with cycling. It's all he has. Like, but I know Ken. He goes, he likes to go to Disney World. You know, he likes to spend time with his, with his wife. He likes to, he has a, a, a group of friends that he likes to hang out with. He loves food. He likes to go and eat at different places. We've traveled together, and he's always um, looking for, like, cool places to eat. Um, he has things outside of cycling um, that it, he's, he's driven in the sense so that he wants to succeed and that's bleeding over. It's showing everybody, um, you know, like how they can do it what, and how and he's setting the role model for his child. I mean, there's no better thing to do. Um, and he's showing it. He's not sitting there sucking down jelly donuts, <laughs> telling her, you know, this is what I did when I was, I rode with that George Hincapi guy. He's not doing that. He's actually going out there and racing. It was interesting because he's the season ended and he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go and race again." I'm like, "Wow, I, I'm really shocked because not that he's racing, but he's having a child. It's his first child. It's a lot of work." Um, but again, he wants to show that example, um, and that's awesome. I mean, that's it's great, man. So yeah, I think you know things that you mentioned too that I didn't bring up was this concept of balance. Yes, there are other things in my life, and you know, I say cycling defines me, and it's my the one characteristics that I kind of you know bleed into other aspects of my life but it's really important you can't be in my opinion you can't be a a a well-balanced person and just hey if i was if i was getting paid to to race bikes and stuff like that i was 20 something you know preparing to the tour yeah my life would probably be wrapped around i'd be doing 30 hours a week on the bike but you know what we'll mention is that people don't see they see me winning and they see my results but they don't realize that the fact that I'm riding only 68 hours a week on average. And they're like, holy, like, how do you do? And I tell everybody, I was like, because every time I get on the bike, every pedal stroke counts. It is, it's, it's so focused and so 
dedicated that I could I'm, I can do that rather than have to put in 15 20 hours on the bike and not yeah granted I have years and years and years of base built up in my body over time but you know you can you can manage everything and somebody's like oh I can't race I only have you know 10 hours a week to train and stuff like that that's 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 horseshit I mean like you know it just means you don't want to suffer on the bike and you don't want to get better you just want to keep doing the same thing so so yeah that there is there's definitely some some structure there and you know having you know it's people say work-life balance I have cycling work-life balance you know that's pretty much my three things that I have to worry about for the most part and it's like you said you can, it's not that you can't do it you're, you're kind of choosing not to do it because I mean you have people who are doing it like Ken's doing it right like yes he's he has some gifts um, and so he's at the top end of that but if you fall anywhere you know 10% 15% less you're still on the podium which is pretty good so and he's doing it in six hours and that's not some bullshit six hours it's like legit um, we can show you all the numbers and but here's the difference if I give somebody 10 hours it takes them 10 hours to get six good hours and when I give Ken ten, six hours I get six good hours and that goes back to the mindset he's driven he's purposeful and what in his training and he's not sitting there you know just riding around again for fun and he does do things for fun so he just shuts that off um, when he goes to work and he knows like to get the output that he wants, he has to put something in. And sometimes, I think people want, want, like I hear people, man, Ken's so good, Ken's so good. I'm like, but he works really hard. So if, you re if you're driven and you wanna be as good as that, as good as someone at the top of their game, you, you gotta come in somewhere close to that, right? And if you're only doing 50%, because you're getting 10 hours and you're only doing about five hours of good work, it's not gonna work. Now, if you give 10 and he's giving six, you're kind of lessen that gap. Sure, genetics plays a role, his past history and all that, but you'll get closer. Not saying you're gonna beat him, but you'll get closer, so. Um, so we could always hope for a mechanical. That happened a couple times this year. That's right, <laughs> I, I know when I race against Ken, I hope for the mechanical. Um, so that's always good, or, or, or he's not in the break, and that's always good as well. Because uh, if he's in the break, you're done. Um, for the most part, so, and he, again, I attribute a lot of Ken's success, just being around Ken for so many years, um, just towards his mindset. You know, he doesn't, I'm not saying he doesn't train hard, so, but he doesn't do anything secret. There's no secret thing out there that he does. Now, he, does he put the work in? Yeah, but his mindset kind of separates him from a lot of people. Um, and is that, I think that that's something that's hard to learn. We gotta practice that, we have to practice it. Hardly ever do I get self-defeating talk from Ken. Like, I've never seen a note uh, that is a negative note in Training Peaks. He never talks uh, negatively about himself. It's always in a positive mindset. It's always positive. Um, you know, some take, some could take that as arrogant, but it's not. Um, it's actually the proper mindset versus a self-defeating mindset of saying a bunch of negative shit about yourself. So, um, yeah, if you, if you, show up, if you show up at an event and you're already making excuses even before the event started, you might as well just put your bike back in your car. <laughs> I mean, that's yes. that's honestly what it is. And I mean, it does. It takes people a lot. It takes people, like I, I mentioned confidence. It takes people, if you put in that time in the training and you're seeing good numbers, it that gives you the confidence to say, hey, I show up, I have a chance, you know, I have a chance. And based off of your goal, I mean, your goal may be to, to finish a, you know, hour-long crit versus winning an hour-long crit. It doesn't, you don't have to win, but you're, 
your mindset has to be winning. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that people kind of let off. They have this, this concept where like a defeatist mentality where they're just like already making excuses. They're already, you know, kind of psyching themselves out, which is, you know, once you do that, once you get in your head like that, it's, it's kind of game over already. So that's, it is, it's really important. And I've been, you know, blessed throughout the years to have a lot of success, which, you know, gives me that mindset and stuff like that to know that, you know, I show up on any given race, I feel like I could win, you know, and that gives me that, that confidence because once, once you don't have that, like I said, there's, there's not a, not a whole lot of reason to even toe the line at that point. Yeah, we hear, I mean, I know you hear, Ken, we'll sit at the line um, before a start of a race and people are already making excuses. I'm not fit. Oh, I'm just using this as a, uh, a to gain fitness or whatever, a whole list of excuses. Oh, I didn't, I got sick this week or whatever, all this stuff. And, and we, some of us fall into this um, or they go back to that mindset while they're racing and they're oh, here we go again. And then you're going to get that same result. So, I mean, the starting line of any race is funny. You just, you, you can hear the negativity. Um, and then the, the positive people, they're pretty quiet, right? They get really quiet and they internalize a little bit. They block out the, the, the noise, the chatter and they internalize and then they, you know, maybe they're visualizing or whatever. Um, so let me um, move on a little bit from this coach versus no coach. What's your thoughts? Um, I know you've done some of this on your own. I know you've used a coach um, through most of it as well, uh, or, you know, back and forth, whatever, coach, non-coach. What works for you? Um, is it coaching, no coaching? I think when I had unlimited time to train, I didn't think coaching was as important um basically back back in the day when i was the national team and it was just like oh go ride for six hours each day i was living out in california and that's essentially what i did and you know it, it didn't really necessitate and i was you know fit and fast and things like that now if i look back at that time and went wow if i actually had a coach giving me structured workouts how much better could i have been so there is that 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 fine balance be between going hey, I was doing really good, I was really fit and fast, but could I have been better? And I think that's where having a coach gives you that advantage, where you can be better. Now, like I said, can you be a fit, fast cyclist without a coach? Yeah, sure you can, especially if you have a history, you kind of know what you're doing, but do you want to take that next step? Do you want to reach that next level? That's where the coach comes in. And for me, who has such a limited time based off you know, family, work-life balance and everything like that, I need a coach. Because I need somebody to look at my data and go, okay, you have six good hours. Here are six good workouts that you need to do. And plus it gives you accountability. If Roy gives me a workout and if I can't do it or if I don't do it, I feel bad. Like it is because he put the time in to give me that workout, planned it out. And if I don't, if I don't do it, I feel like I'm letting him down, not just myself. So I think that's a big piece with having a coach too. I think that accountability and I think that's, no matter what your mentality is and stuff like that, most people want to please somebody else. So you want to please your coach. You want to do a good job for them. And so I think that that helps people get to that next level by having a coach. And that's pretty common. Um, what I hear is like accountability, um, efficiency of training, um, and things like that. And, and it's not always about the pro or non-pro aspect of it. It's just like having a plan, waking up every day, looking at it, knowing I got to do that and, and hopefully seeing the results. I mean, I, you know, if you're doing, if you're just doing a hodgepodge of workouts and it's not providing any results, then, you know, I don't know if that's coaching anyway, but 
having that plan, having that accountability. Um, I know for me, when I use a coach, same thing. Like I want accountability. I do it for a living, but it doesn't mean I'm good at accountability to myself. It's not about knowledge either. Like a lot of people, well, Ken has tons of knowledge. He's been around um, cycling longer than I have. Uh, he's been uh, national teams, been around really good athletes. Um, but so he knows a lot about cycling. It's for him, it's about accountability. And then knowing every day he just has to wake up and train. He doesn't have to think about anything. He just thinks about training. All right, the last one we're a question. And then I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do with Kent today is we're sitting out and mapping out his 2020 season. So we may have some highlights of that conversation as well in the mix. But um, uh, as far as the interview is concerned, the last question I have is always a good controversial one. And I get people ask me this every day in, in here in our studio. And it's funny, my, my, all my friends, wife friends, everybody asks this question. So Lance, um, no Lance, what do you think about what's going on with Lance? And, you know, do you think that, um, you know, how that whole thing played out um, where he, you know, he, he's losing all the sponsors. He's supposed to be the scapegoat for cycling. You know, I know you're a fan um, of Lance. I mean, you both were or are. Um, I don't know if you are. I am still a fan of Lance. We'll find out what you feel. So the Lance factor, what do, you, what do you think about Lance? I am so happy he's trying to insert himself back into the sport through his podcasts, um, through him able to do unsanctioned events. Um, Lance was such a huge role model, inspirational piece. Um, you know, did, I wouldn't say he got me involved in cycling, but he kept me motivated for cycling. Um, and honestly, I mean, he denied it for years. I, hell, I denied it for him that he was doping for years. And honestly, when it came out, it was just like, kind of like, eh. It was kind of anticlimactic for me um, because ev almost everybody else on the podium for his seven tours that he won has come out and admitted to it or whatever. So, you know, he is superhuman. There's no doubt because even on drugs, what he did was insane, um, but he wasn't from another planet superhuman to be able to compete against guys dope to the gills um, throughout his seven tours. So, you know, I'm, I'm still a fan. Do I hold any animosity to him? No, not really. I mean, he probably acted the way I would have acted if I was in his position. So I can't really fault him and stuff like that. It sucks that, you know, so many people felt hurt and betrayed, but I'm like, you know, did he kill your kid? No. I mean, come on, get over it. I mean, he did more good for the sport than any other American that has ever raced a bike has done. So, I mean, he made things more popular. He put Trek on the map. He, I mean, he made the, the tour a household name in the U.S. So, I mean, I can't, can't fault him. And I do. I, I follow him on social media. I, you know, hell, I mean, I, I would love the opportunity to ride with him at this point. So, um, and I actually have. I've raced with him you know, back in the day, but that was a, you know, another story that was pre-cancer and um, he was, he was kind of an ass for sure. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of get that way with, you know, immediate success like he had. Um, but yeah, I would love to race with the, or not race, but at least ride with the, the new Lance and, you know, kind of see how he is as a person. But like I said, I, I am a fan. I, you know, in my opinion, all is forgiven. He should be allowed to be involved in the sport again, just because I think he would do a lot of good. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'm of the same opinion. I mean, yeah, he did some things that, to people that were not nice, maybe, that maybe we deem not, you know, I mean, show what he was an asshole. I'm sure we're, I've been an asshole plenty of times. Um, but then 
the good that he's done as far as for cancer, I mean, you can't overlook that. The hope, I mean, I have people coming in at least weekly who are cycling today because, you know, Lance, you know, he, he, he said he beat cancer. I, I had a friend who had cancer. I got a bike. I did a charity ride. Um, I had a lady in here. She had breast cancer. She had the, the yellow bracelet on. You don't see those too often. And uh, she's a fan. Um, you know, I think the people out there that are a little salty, a little delusional, like, right? Like, I mean, especially the guy that you're spending all this time, money, and effort bringing down one individual when everybody was doing it. And I'm not saying it's justifiable, but everyone's doing it. And there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. And in my opinion, it was done in the incorrect way. Like, you have people like Postal uh, Service who would probably be bankrupt or should be bankrupt. And then Trek, they were going in the wrong direction, you know. Oakley, Nike, all those companies that were backing him and who made millions of dollars off him turn away and, and so forth. So, but the people who aren't turning away um, are those who survived cancer, like who actually were going to die, um, but decided they wanted, they wanted to get up and live. So, you know, Lance is, uh, for that to me, I think that's, that's commendable. And, and he's still the, the seven times uh, toward it, France champion. I mean, they haven't re, uh, they haven't handed the polka dot jersey, the sprinters jersey, the white. They didn't hand that to anyone else. Like those people still have those jerseys. It's just supposedly he doesn't. So he does. He's still the seven-time uh, champ um, and uh, the most inf impactful cyclist. Now I've met Frank Adreu. I met uh, Greg Lamont. Great people. Um, awesome people. Greg Lamont and his wife are awesome. Like really, really nice and. Sure, I feel bad for some of the stuff that um, that I'm privy to, and I'm sure there's things that were not that I probably wouldn't agree with. Um, same thing for Frankie, but um, but I also think that you know one person can't be the scapegoat for for cycling. So um, so that's I think that's it. I'm gonna get open it up to Ken for a few minutes, see if he has anything he wants to touch base on, talk on, and then we're gonna hit a little uh, review and hopefully get him ready for 20. Uh, 20, 2020? 2019. <laughs> uh, 2019. I have an 18 month at home too, so I forget sometimes. But I want to first end with like, thanks, Ken, for coming in and, and doing this podcast and sharing, um, you know, some, some, I think some really good stuff, stuff I didn't know, and, and I'm sure stuff that you guys can use and take uh, to improve your training, cycling, and mental approach. So, anything else you want to add, Ken? No, not that. I think one of the, um, going back, kind of, bridging all the topics, Lance and winning attitude and, you know, showing up with that winning attitude. One of my favorite stories about him is when he won his world championship and he's on the line and it starts downpouring and the weather goes horrible. And one of his teammates looked over at him. He's like, oh shit, this looks horrible. And Lance is like, no, this is perfect. And he's like, why? He's like, because half the field just gave up. And I have that attitude too. Some of my favorite races in the year are when early in the season when it's cold rainy wet windy because you show up and half the guys are there they're just miserable and you already know that they gave up even before the race started so don't give up enjoy the bad weather enjoy the wind enjoy the bad conditions because if you do you already have a, an edge on half the guys in there i hope you guys enjoyed that podcast or the interview with uh ken it's a little insight into uh, his mindset how he uses uh, what he does on the bike outside of his life and he, how he's driven. He's driven for wins. He's driven to uh, 
be at the top of his game and that's what keeps him uh, working out each and every day. Um, very little on the leisure side uh, or doing it for fun. Um, I guess his fun is winning and so without putting, uh, doing the workouts, without putting the input, uh, he will not get that output of being on the podium. So I hope you guys learned a little bit from that and uh, we'll be bringing some guests into the podcast from time to time. As always, thank you for Marifo Coaching. Up your watts.